This is a hypothetically great podcast. This is Tech News for MBAs. I'm Professor Paul Canetti. And it is Friday, March 4th, 2022. Couldn't this just have been a quiet year, like where nothing really happens? I don't know if there ever was such a thing or if we're just nostalgic for a time that never was. Everyone is so collectively attuned to everything that happens in the world that it seems like the volume is just turned up, but maybe it was always playing, uh, or maybe we truly are living in unprecedented times. It's hard to know. The net effect, I guess, is the same. A land invasion of one sovereign nation uh, against another in Europe does seem pretty new, uh, or maybe actually old is a better way to think about it. But the events in Ukraine over the last week are truly uh, unnerving and I know personally I've gone through phases of just worry and anxiety and feeling like a certain baseline security uh, has been shaken. Even though this is happening so far away, I think we take for granted that we live in a peaceful place here in the U.S., peaceful as far as, you know, the everyday fear of attack by the military might of another nation. But, um, you know, maybe it's healthy to realize the reality, which is that uh, everything we sense about that security and that safety really is temporary and held in place by a very tangled web of diplomacy and politics and economics. And... um, All that being said, rather than thinking about how does this impact us, it is important to speak out against what is happening, not because it might have a negative effect on us here in the U.S., but that it is wrong and innocent people are suffering today and There's a feeling of powerlessness, certainly, that comes with that. I've been thinking a lot about how I personally can make some sort of impact. And um, this episode is, you know, one small piece of that. You know, each of us has some sort of circle of influence over the world, uh, some ability to exert some you know, change. Uh, And some people have a really big circle and some people have smaller. Uh, But if you're listening, you know, you are in my little circle. If you are in my class, you're in that circle. If you read my newsletter, et cetera. Um, And so yesterday I published a step-by-step guide on how to donate cryptocurrency to Ukraine. And this episode is going to be largely about that Uh, not the step-by-step guide, but about this really amazing phenomenon that has occurred where the Ukrainian government is asking for direct cryptocurrency donations. And I know that a lot of people 
uh, maybe are curious about cryptocurrency but haven't really, you know, taken the plunge and uh, downloaded a crypto exchange app and um, started to participate, this is a really great excuse to do that for a great cause. Uh, so check out hypotheticallygreat.com if you're interested in that step-by-step guide. I have also launched my first ever NFT project, which is called Flags of Freedom. And the first uh, piece there is a flag. It's the Ukrainian flag with the Ethereum symbol uh, sort of imposed on top. And um, all of the proceeds there will go to Ukraine directly. And so, uh, you know, when someone purchases an NFT, they're buying that in a native cryptocurrency and that cryptocurrency will then be sent directly to the crypto wallet of the Ukrainian government. And so you can check that out on my Twitter or you can search on OpenSea for flags of freedom. Uh, Each flag is priced at 0.02 ETH, which is, you know, depending on the exact price of ETH, somewhere hovering around $50. And again, that goes directly to uh, the Ukrainian government. And then there's one OG version of the flag, which is being auctioned off to the highest bidder over the next week. I know very little about international relations or about anything relating to war, but I do know about tech. And this week's headlines center around some of the tech-related themes that we're already seeing coming out of this conflict. As I just mentioned, Ukraine has requested donations via cryptocurrencies by publicly posting its wallet addresses for Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other popular tokens. There definitely is a first time for everything. And I've never seen this before. The official Twitter account of Ukraine posted this tweet. Stand with the people of Ukraine, now accepting cryptocurrency donations, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and USDT, which is a stablecoin called Tether. And then they give their Bitcoin wallet address and their Ethereum wallet address. That was on February 26th. Since then, they've added other cryptocurrencies that they are accepting. And reportedly, there have been well over $50 million of donations so far and increasing all the time. How do we know this? Because everything in crypto is transparent. You can see publicly how much money is being transferred to those wallets. If you listened to the episode last week, which was a primer on crypto everything, uh, you will know that a wallet address is basically like an email address that you can send money to. It's a string of letters and numbers. Um, You can also register something on the Ethereum network called an ENS uh, domain, which is kind of like a domain name, um, like paulcanetti.eth which would lead to your wallet address uh, instead of just having that big string of letters and numbers. But the idea is that if you have a wallet address, you can send 
anything you want to that wallet. And uh, it's pretty incredible that they're doing this. So why would they be doing this? I mean, you have a country under active attack and they're going on Twitter to post some crypto addresses. Why? Well, I think there's a few reasons. One is just uh, the perfect use case for cryptocurrency, right? So if you wanted to donate money through a traditional method like a bank or a credit card or something, um, you would need all of this time to pass before those funds are actually available to the recipient. An international wire takes a certain amount of time uh, or, you know, if you were donating to like some sort of nonprofit organization with a credit card and the credit card uh, company takes a certain amount of time to process and deposit those funds. And then that nonprofit has to somehow get that to uh, Ukraine. And then people on the ground there have to somehow withdraw that money, et cetera, et cetera. Cryptocurrency is almost instantaneous, certainly relative to that, um, where you can transfer funds and within a few seconds, maybe at most minutes, if things were really congested, um, the person on the other end would have instant access to those funds, which is pretty amazing. The other thing, of course, is that who knows what's going to happen with the internet, with cyber attacks. Let's say that traditional banking infrastructure goes down um, or uh, other sorts of blocks uh, on normal banks, um, just like, for instance, the international community is doing to Russia. Presumably, Russia could do that to the Ukrainian banks. Um, but crypto is mostly immune to that kind of thing because, again, there is no centralized place that you could shut it down. It's a distributed network. And so um, it's much less likely that uh, a government would be able to uh, shut down cryptocurrency within another country the way you maybe could through traditional cyber attacks of banks and so on. Then also, like, I don't know, but I've never actually seen a government ask for direct donations from the international community. Um, and this isn't like a nonprofit that, again, is sort of passing it on to people in Ukraine. This is the Ukrainian government. You are sending money to their treasury, I guess, directly. Um, and I've really never seen anything like that. But, you know, peer-to-peer -peer transactions, uh, you to them without any sort of intermediaries is really interesting. And then the last thing is there are clearly some savvy folks within the Ukrainian government that understand the culture of Web3 and how these communities really just love to rally behind a cause and raise money for it. Um, we had an episode last season about Constitution Dow, where they raised you know, tens of millions of dollars to buy a copy of the US Constitution um, within a matter of days. There are other Dows right now that are raising money to buy sports teams or all sorts of crazy causes. Um, here, just sort of harnessing the energy and enthusiasm of the Web3 community, I think is a really savvy move. And people in Web3 love to tell other people about what they're doing and invite them in. Um, I'm doing that right now to you. And um, it seems that the, the person behind most of this is a guy named Mikhailo Fedorov, who is the vice prime minister of Ukraine and the minister of digital transformation. 
And he's really active on Twitter. My guess is that he has, you know, access to the main Ukraine Twitter account as well. Um, And he's the one that's kind of doing this. Interestingly, this week, uh, he slash the Ukraine account posted that they were going to be doing an airdrop. And if you're not familiar with the term airdrop, I did an episode uh, last season, that same one about Constitution Down and about the ENS airdrop. I also have an article on Hypothetically Great about this. Um, But basically, an airdrop is a giveaway. It's a reward that you give to uh, holders of a certain token, like a cryptocurrency or a governance token or an NFT collection. Um, and Ukraine posted that anybody that donated before a certain date and a certain time would receive a surprise airdrop. And donations spiked. Um, I saw something like, you know, the amount of people that donated uh, increased 25% the total cumulative amount Um, even though a week had already passed within just hours of that airdrop announcement. Um, And so these sorts of incentives really work. I mean, think about just traditional charities like, uh, you know, you incentivize someone to give with a tote bag or a raffle or, you know, a bake sale or whatever it is. Um, This stuff really works. That being said, this morning or sorry, yesterday morning, uh, it was posted on Twitter that they actually decided against the airdrop and there was not much explanation given. I don't think anyone is too torn up about, you know, you promised me a reward, Ukraine. How dare you? Um, But there must be, you know, uh, an interesting conversation happening internally there about sort of the pros and cons of that. But in any case, it's really interesting to see them really interacting with the Web3 community in such an authentic way. It leads me to believe that... um, that this guy Fedorov and his team really are, you know, sort of keyed into what's happening. And I think they're very smart to leverage that. And as is the case with our next headline that I'm about to get into, we are seeing this theme of decentralization that, again, we talked about in the last episode, really being put into practice here. It is very advantageous to be able to circumvent traditional banking systems, traditional governmental systems. Uh, Again, these are wallets owned by the government, but they're the same sorts of wallets that you or I could have access to um, that bypass all the bureaucracy. And um, in a time of crisis, being able to go direct and not having a clear point of failure somewhere that Russia could attack and shut it all down, um, that is really, really fascinating. And again, it's the first time we've ever seen this put to the test in a major way. Starlink, a division of SpaceX, has deployed a series of satellites over Ukraine, giving internet service to the population on the ground. The internet connection you are using right now is most likely coming from cellular towers or from wires in the ground or under the oceans, uh, from your Wi-Fi router more locally. Starlink is a pretty amazing project, uh, which is under the company SpaceX, which of course is one of Elon Musk's famous companies. And uh, among a million other things that SpaceX is doing, Starlink is an initiative to put satellites up into Earth's atmosphere or outside the atmosphere, I don't know, somewhere um, on the inner edge of outer space, 
Uh, and those satellites are beaming internet connectivity down to Earth. Um, and you need sort of a receiving dish to get it, like kind of like satellite TV, right? Um, and so the idea here is that you don't need providers, terrestrial providers, to give you internet. You can get internet from the sky. And this is great for places that are hard to reach with wired connections. Think about emerging markets or uh, just tricky geographies, areas with sparse or rural populations, et cetera, et cetera. So how does this fit into the Ukraine story? Well, on February 26th, this same minister from Ukraine, uh, Mikhailo Fedorov, tweeted at Elon Musk, while you try to colonize Mars, Russia try to occupy Ukraine. While your rockets successfully land from space, Russian rockets attack Ukrainian civil people. We ask you to provide Ukraine with Starlink stations and to address sane Russians to stand. In less than 12 hours, Elon Musk replied publicly on Twitter, Starlink service is now available in Ukraine. More terminals en route. There's so many things to say about just the craziness of people being able to communicate on Twitter and reach each other. I once wrote that Twitter is like a text messaging app, except it's public and you can text message anybody. Um, and here you have a company and, and a CEO of a company responding so quickly to this sort of uh, emergency. And why is this so important? Well, what if Russia just knocks out the internet in Ukraine? Or what if they block the internet or certain parts of the internet in Russia itself? Well, if your uh, population can get the internet from outer space, then that's much harder to censor. What are you going to do? Like shoot all the satellites out of the sky or somehow intercept the signal or something? Um, really, really uh, a much better way to get free and open internet access is through these satellites. And so, you know, as long as people on the ground have the devices and continue to have electricity, um, they can receive the internet basically no matter what. And there's nothing Russia can do to cut that access off. And this is another example of decentralization or at least distribution, a distributed approach, right? There's internet coming from lots of different satellites. There's not a single point of failure where you can just cut the cable and boom, everybody loses access. Now, it's not exactly decentralized because SpaceX is the central power here. SpaceX controls those satellites. SpaceX could potentially cut off access or limit certain uh, websites or services. I don't know exactly how much of a granular control they have, but um, a corporation is at the middle of it instead of a government. But it's definitely a step closer. And again, this should make you start to appreciate the value proposition of decentralization as a movement. And that is at the center of this whole Web3 phenomenon. And people talk about crypto and about making money, but at the heart of Web3 is this idea of a decentralized internet where you do not have governments or corporations uh, that are owning everything, controlling everything, having the ability to censor everything, um, 
and basically being the arbiters of what uh, we, the people, have access to. But instead, what if we, the people, we were the collective owners of it all? There is, in fact, a startup called Helium that is attempting to do this for the internet. They are creating a decentralized internet access um, and quite literally putting, you know, routing devices, like imagine like a little Wi-Fi router looking thing in people's homes, creating a network of uh, coverage across the world. And they're incentivizing people to do that by uh, giving them, you guessed it, a certain type of cryptocurrency that hopefully will increase in value as more and more people join the network. And so in the future, maybe you won't use Verizon to get your internet service. You use Helium and it's owned by the entire network, including you, if you're one of its users instead of by a central corporation. There are definitely a lot of fanatics in Web3 that say this is the answer to all society's problems. And obviously that is not true. But in this acute moment of uh, peril, when you think about the stakes of war and an invasion, um, pretty quickly it starts to become clear how some of this stuff really could be advantageous to us all in the future. And there's a you know there's another side to the coin, no pun intended. Um, in every scenario, you know the same way that crypto can flow freely to help uh, Ukrainians. Well, it also is much harder to block, you know, access uh, to Russian finances if those are held in crypto as opposed to traditional banks, for instance. Um, so these are just tools. They can be used in a variety of ways by a variety of people um, for a variety of purposes. But decentralization is a really interesting theme, and it's only going to be something that becomes more and more apparent to us over time. And um, in this situation, uh, you can see how, you know, a modern war being fought in the age of crypto and TikTok, for that matter, um, is going to look different than what we've seen in the past. Thanks for listening along. Uh, again, if you're interested in exploring the crypto world um, and want to do some good at the same time, go ahead, read my guide on how to sign up for Coinbase and buy some Bitcoin to send to Ukraine. Um, in the process, you will uh, be learning about buying and transferring and sending uh, cryptocurrencies. And also my NFT collection called Flags of Freedom. Um, same thing. I had never done NFTs before. This was my first experience really using OpenSea, the main uh, NFT exchange. And I learned so much and I have no idea how, um, you know, uh, successful this project will be. But even if I can make a few hundred dollars for Ukraine, basically, you know, uh, Ukraine got paid for me to learn about how to make NFTs. And um, what an amazing intersection uh, if you're able to learn and have an excuse to get into this stuff and do some good at the same time. And if you're anything like me, sitting idle and just not being sure how you can help, um, you know, doesn't feel great. And so anyway, forget crypto, but any way that you can contribute uh, in any way that you are able, um, you know, taking action is is always better than doing nothing. 
I'm Professor Paul Canetti. I will see you next week for more tech news for MBAs. This is a really good podcast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 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 <laughs>